that was the sound of people swarming the seats of democracy in Brazil's capital, Brasilia, yesterday. If you saw the images, they were vividly similar to what happened in Washington on January 6th, 2021. We just marked the two-year anniversary of that uh, on Friday. Um, why were they there? Well, they are supporters of the former president. This is all going to sound very familiar to you. Far-right leader Jair Bolsonaro, he lost uh, the presidential election in a runoff uh, late last year to the former president, uh, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, or Lula, as he's known. And uh, they believe this election was stolen. They believe, and there's a reason why they believe it, because they've been watching it on social media. They've been fed this incredible stream of lies about stolen elections. Again, this all sounds familiar to you. It's because it should. Bolsonaro, meanwhile, is holed up in Orlando, in Florida. He went to the States afterwards. Now, when he was fighting the election uh, before the vote, he often spoke, like Donald Trump, often spoke about how this was rigged. Oddly enough, when it happened, when he lost, he didn't actually do the same things that Trump did. He did sort of concede, although he stayed very silent ever since. And there's certainly been a lot of talk about, uh, you, know, riling, you know, riling up his supporters, so to speak. So he hasn't done much to put out the fires either. Uh, so they stormed and trashed the nation's highest seats of power, uh, Congress, the Supreme Court, the presidential palace. Many said they want the Brazilian army to restore Bolsonaro to power and oust Lula. Um, and the justice minister, Flavio Dino, said the acts amounted to terrorism and coup-mongering and that police had begun tracking those who paid for the buses that transported protesters to the capital. Those responsible go beyond Brazil's borders, of course, with U.S. far-right figures fueling a lot of the anger that was on display yesterday. Today, the leaders of Canada, Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, Mexico, and the U.S. issued a joint statement condemning the attacks. There was a statement released by President Biden, Mexico's President Lopez Obrador, and the Prime Minister of Canada that said that these three countries stand with Brazil as it safeguards its democratic institutions and that the government support the free will of the people of Brazil. The White House says that the president and those leaders look forward to working with the new leader of Brazil, President Lula. Uh, that was ABC's reporter there. Uh, it's also, though, another example about how the spread of disinformation, conspiracy, um, often done tactfully and purposefully, can really rile people up. We saw it again. We, I mean, the idea that for the second time in just over two years, people in a democracy at the outset of an election process have decided to storm their capitals. Now, this was a bit different in Brazil, obviously, but it was still just as destructive. Um, tells you a lot about something that's going on, an ecosystem that's developed that seems to be spreading messages to different, similar messages to different places. Joining me now with more on this is Carmen Celestini. She's a lecturer in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Waterloo and has a focus on improv improvisational conspiracy and belief systems, the overlapping belief systems of apocalyptic Christian thought and conspiracy theories and the impact of those beliefs on the American political system. That sounds complicated, but it, but it isn't really, is it? <laughs> Carmen, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. 
So what was going? What happened in Brazil yesterday was was striking in so many ways. A because it looked so similar, but B as we're reading more and more about it, how it was planned and fueled so similarly. What did you see that that uh, that you think we should note yesterday? Well, I think that there were very much similarities between what happened on January 6th and what happened yesterday in Brazil. What we can see is that it's not just social media and the idea of conspiracy theories being spread amongst communities and groups online. We also have very powerful people who are sort of mimicking or supporting these ideas from the political pulpit. So we know Steve Bannon encouraged the patriots of Brazil for what they were doing. And we see such similarities that even prior to the election, that there's talk of that this is going to be rigged. There is questions about using electronic voting. And in the election that Balacero did win, he said that it was still rigged, even though he won, because his votes should have been much greater. So this isn't something that was just sort of fomenting for the last few months or leading up to this election. It's been something that has been going on for quite some time. And we could see the same similarities with Donald Trump sort of mimicking these ideas from his pulpit, saying it's rigged even before the election, the first ballot had been cast. And so it reinforces their ideas of these populist leaders being their voice within the government and articulating their worldviews. And yet it all seems so fundamentally destructive. I think that's what's always so surprising about it to some extent is the idea that it's okay within that ecosystem to trash the seat of your democracy. I think that the way that they interpret this worldview is that the you know seat of democracy that we all see, they interpret it as being something that they're disenfranchised with, something that has been infiltrated by whomever their enemy may be. We can even see that in the reaction that we're seeing with the right wing talking about what happened in Brazil. We see some groups talking about those individuals being patriots. We see other people saying, well, they were right for doing it, but it was the equivalent of Antifa or left wing people who were actually doing the violent acts or that they were crisis actors who were there on behest of the CIA causing this violence that's there. So they have this notion of, you know, even though they are taking these actions to save the nation or to save the country from whomever their enemy may be, they don't take accountability for that action and still blame that on their enemy. So it's an interesting worldview of, you know, who is a patriot and who is a hero, but, you know, we're such good people, we can't actually do those negative deeds. It has to be our enemies who did that. Interesting. One of the things that I noticed as well, of course, Bolsonaro's um, supporters essentially hijacked the Brazilian flag. So did Trump's supporters. We saw that in Canada as well, uh, with the flag somehow being being taken away from all of us to be used by a few as their symbol of we're, you know, we're better Canadians than you are. It's a funny set of symbols. It's a funny set of information. It's a funny belief system, because at the same time, it seems so there is no demand, really, is there? Like, there's, there's, no, there's nothing you could offer them to convince them what, that what they believe is not true. Yeah, I mean, they, they're definitely, I mean, when we think about the ideas of disinformation and misinformation, misinformation is something that you spread without it, you know, without knowledge. You think that it is true. Well, when it comes to their worldview, this information that they're spreading, they believe it genuinely is true. And so it's not something that we can have a conversation with, but, you know, I think it's something that we need to look at 
about how we understand notions of nationalism. When we think about people who use this term of patriot, it seems that, you know, they're not defining Canada or Brazil or America by the standards of the majority of the citizens of that country. But it tends to be something that they envision the nation to be. So they see it, you know, in some ways it could be more of a white nationalism, anti-immigration kind of idea, or attached to religious ideas that, you know, Canada or America is a Christian nation. And they try to articulate that and they, they claim the flag. And, you know, and by claiming that flag, they are designating who is a true Canadian, a true Brazilian, a true American. And those who do not meet that criteria are the enemy of the state. And so in their way, they are who truly are representative of the nation. What's interesting about that, too, is just how disparate these groups tend to be. I mean, as we saw with with the so-called Freedom Convoy in Ottawa, I mean, lots of people with lots of different axes to grind there, and yet somehow they find common symbols to rally under, the flag being one of them. The idea of the government being illegitimate is another one of them. I mean, there seems to be a set, you know, there, there is a songbook there. Yeah. Um, well, when we see conspiracy theories, especially when we're looking at things that are happening right now, like with QAnon or the Great Reset, and these notions, in many ways, are what we call super conspiracies. So they bring in other conspiracy theories underneath this umbrella, and they sort of nest them together in a hierarchical order. So if we think about you know, people who don't believe in the moon landing or believe in the JFK assassination was like a two-person shooter, they rarely engaged with people who believed in the Illuminati or something like the deep state. But what we have here and what's happening politically in many of these populist movements and nationalist movements is that these things are coming together. So we have people who were anti-vaccine before, you know, are now obviously anti-COVID vaccine or, you know, believe that COVID is a hoax interacting with people who believe that there's a deep state or that there are, you know, um, you know, World Economic Forum individuals, you know, attached to our government or the American government trying to make this new world order. And all of these conspiracy theories are coming together to define almost um, how the world is being connected. Nothing happens by coincidence. It's all planned together. And so we have those different representations. But when we see negative images like the Nazi flag or the Confederate flag in these situations, like we saw the convoy, you know, it's an opportunity for very um, hate organizations or white nationalist organizations to engage in these conversations, right? They can use memes and political talk that may be very subtle about their ideology. And so they become mixed into this milieu as well. So we have a whole bunch of different people who believe in different things, but are all together. It's almost like a value system for them that they believe in, even though they have different dogmas that are attached to it or different belief systems and ideologies. But there's this core value of nationalism and what Canada is and this notion that they have to protect it and fight for it and that they are the heroes who will save our country. And when earlier we were talking a bit, a bit, a bit of, about not only the game, the sort of the, the game book, the playbook that's being used here, but also, also the same voices spreading it. And it feels like they're getting people are getting better and better at it as they're spreading these, you know, as they're spreading this sort of playbook on how to do this. And, and it, you wonder where it goes next. 
Well, I mean, that is an interesting question, right? I think our response as a global community to this crisis, in a way, is going to help define that. I think, yes, they do definitely learn um, from past experiences. What are the things that are successful? What are the things that can make it happen? What are the goals that they're hoping to attain? And so we need to engage in conversation. I think that, you know, people who believe in conspiracy theories Underneath every conspiracy theory lies a sense of injustice, whether it's real or perceived. There is this injustice that they're trying to articulate and find some type of blame for. And I think it behooves us as a society to actually have those conversations about what are those injustices. Sort of look below the salacious nature and engage in what are their fears? What are the emotions that are causing this sense of injustice that they have? And how do we address it? And what we find is a lot of people say, you know, I am just not going to engage in a conversation with that or I won't talk about this. And what we're doing is we are taking away the person who they are, their personality, the thing that we cared about them, who they were, and we are now defining them by what they believe. And so we're not having conversations. And when we don't engage in those conversations, they will turn to communities online who see their worldviews similar, who agree with them, who validate their opinions and validate how they feel. And they get deeper and deeper into these conversations and into these situations. Yeah, I guess what's always puzzling is just the the spasms of violence that that come with it. Um, I agree with you. We need to be talking about this stuff. And people who have beliefs that I don't agree with aren't people I don't agree with necessarily. I mean, yeah. not in general. These are they're always there's always lots of commonalities. In fact, we often feel the same way about many things. Just don't express it the same way. I think what's always different here, especially watching the scenes from yesterday, is this idea that somehow these institutions that it took so long for countries such as ours to build. Um, have become symbols uh, to be destroyed, and I think that's where we start to start to worry. It's all it's it's easy to have a conversation until you start attacking the symbols of your you know the very seats of your democracy to some extent. Absolutely. I mean, we can see this, that it's leading these social movements that we find online. Um, What they do is they create this notion for the believers that they're social heroes, which means that they understand that they're going to be ostracized, that they're going to be denigrated, that they're going to be called names. So if we think about, you know, when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called the convoy people, you know, the fringe mi- minority. They took on that label and they yeah, were proud the of it. Yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they see themselves as that. And when we call them names or we do that to them, we're validating their position. And what they believe is that they are fighting on the side of good, right? So it could be the ultimate battle between good and evil in their mind frame. And they are on the side of good. And they should be welcomed as heroes who are going to stop this new world order, who are going to stop this tyranny or this traitor, you know, notion that's happening in the country. And so they think that they're actually saving democracy in some ways. And so they want to be recognized as the heroes. So if we think about the convoys, you know, they said that, you know, we're here to save Canada. They took on that moniker. They took on the Canadian flag. When it was upside down, it was saying that Canada is in distress. 
and that it's their job to save it. And they see themselves as people who are doing just that. And so their actions to them in some ways are validated. Not everyone is going to turn to violence. But I think that, you know, there is a responsibility that needs to be attached to politicians as well. You know, we see platforms for populist groups, even here in Canada, who use these conspiracy theories or these fears as part of their platform to create a stronger base to get power for themselves. And there's a right. bit of decorum that has been lost in that. And cashing and we in also, on it as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and we see that, you know, when Canada had the convoys in Australia and New Zealand, they copied those convoys and were actually carrying the Canadian flags because in their notion of conspiracy, if Canada, Australia and New Zealand fall, then the rest of the world will fall to this new world order. So in a way, the Canadian convoy people internationally were seen as heroes in some of these groups. What that reflects is that the Internet is borderless. Right. So even though there is this notion of nationalism, the QAnon conspiracy, which is American, is everywhere in the world. You know, it's in Italy. It's in Canada. You know, we see these things coming together as a world movement. And what's happening is our nations are trying to solve this or integrate it or engage with it nationally. And so what happens in America may not stop this borderless movement or what Canada does might not. So in some ways, we have to have a global response that works with the borderless notion of the Internet and these social movements. And we certainly saw it spread to Brasilia yesterday. Carmen Celestini, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you.